0: everybody welcome to this edition of the big questions with big john i'm your host big john and with me today is somebody that i go back many years in this industry uh a friend both in and out of the fantasy sports world uh none other than mr scott the king angle how you doing scott doing good john it's good to be with you Uh, It's always good to be with you, man. Always good, a chance to talk. And for those that don't know, let me just give you a little bit of Scott's uh, pedigree here, which is too extensive for me to get all done in one show even. But he's currently at thegameday.com where he covers sports betting and fantasy sports. He's also the featured uh, fantasy writer for seahawks.com. He can also be found at rotoballer.com. And every Saturday between the hours of 3 to 5 p.m. Eastern, you can catch him on Sirius XM Satellite Radio on the Fantasy Sports Channel. Uh, Scott, how do you find time to do it all?
1: Well, you know, it's just a, you you know, John, you were doing it for a long time. It's a matter of scheduling, you know, just trying to balance everything. But I think you get you get you get into a rhythm after you so it's kind of like a running back you know how they say certain running backs are like a rhythm back right and you know they need to have like regular carries in order to you know function at peak so you know i keep handing myself the ball and then i get into right a rhythm you know and then That's the been- drive the drive starts
0: moving you know i never really thought of it that way but i guess you're right you know once you yeah. get into that grind of writing and analyzing and and especially when you go across sports it is like that uh workhorse running back that needs 20 25 30 carries to be effective you know um but let's let me also throw in something that uh, uh well let's start let's start from the beginning uh where did you grow up where are you from
1: i'm from flushing queens uh you know grew up a Met fan and it, you know it's because of my dad he rest in peace bernard angle uh he was no brooklyn dodgers fan and became a big Met fan and he uh he basically helped me create my love of sports by taking me to Met games when I was a kid, mm-hmm. uh because we didn't live too far from Shea Stadium, which right. was about a fifteen minute walk, you know he uh he had a certain way that we walked to the ballpark from home, and uh, you know if I got good grades when I was in in uh, elementary
0: school, I would get to go to a med game that month. Oh, so you were close enough to actually walk to Shea, so you you live somewhere near College Point, probably right?
1: Yeah, I did. Uh, Everybody's watching this nationally, might not know, but, you know, it's like people know Queens. I lived right off Linden Place. Okay. Uh, And my father would, we'd we'd walk down from the co-op where we lived and we'd go down College Point Boulevard and then we'd walk over the Roosevelt Avenue bridge, you know, on on a Sunday morning.
0: So that sounds like you had a good bonding experience with your dad, especially with the Mets games. Was he uh, just a baseball fan or was he a big sports fan in general? Well baseball was his
1: favorite actually after he passed i I got a uh, city- city field has what they call a fan wall with mm. with bricks all outside the stadium and I got him memorial brick mm. and what's interesting is they put it right outside the media entrance, so I can always see his the brick that is dedicated to him when i when I go in on a credential oh, so that's, which is which is pretty cool I was going to say yeah.
0: that is so cool man that to yeah. be able to A to be able to do that for your dad, and then to be able to see it as you go to work, so to speak, every day. That that must be that's really cool. But he he was
1: he was he was mainly uh, a big baseball fan, but he was also a big hockey fan. I never got into it. He he was an Islanders fan from like the beginning, and it used to make me angry because I'd want to watch the Mets in April in the living room tv but he'd want to watch the hockey players right right so i, I started getting a disdain for hockey because i feel like it interfered with <laughs> him watching the Mets with me. and uh, he liked he liked football too he yeah. he, was, he was a fan of both the jets and the raiders he what he was into the nba when i was very young but he kind of fell off but he was right. he was into like the bradley the Bush or Knicks, you know willis reed walt frazier but I became a huge Nick fan in the 80s. and That's how my journalism career kicked off.
0: Okay, great. So you, you got this sort of appreciation and love of sports, uh, you and, and it certainly sounds like you bonded over your dad with it. Um, when you were young, did you say to yourself, I'm going to be a sports writer? I'm going to be, or did you have the typical dream of most kids like in New York, especially growing up to play for the Mets or like? Let, let's say around college age, what what were your thoughts of the future at that point? At
1: By college, I I had already known that I want to be a sports writer. My, my teachers used to say, say, your age, you know, like 19, it's very rare that you know what you want to do. Because I had grown up, you know, I never played organized sports. Played with my friends, you know, across the street and right, stuff right. like that outside the house. But, uh, you know, I realized I was never going to be a professional athlete in real realized my dream of pitching for the Mets because right. I, I stopped playing Little League Baseball like about the one time I was 13. Um, but I used to read voracious. I right. used to read sports magazines and classic rock and roll magazines. Mm. And the more you read, the better you write. Yes. So uh, then I became this fanatical Nick fan when I was in high school. <laughs> And somebody told me, hey, the school newspaper, you know, they, they're giving out free nick tickets. Oh. You know, uh, I, ran, I ran down there. And they weren't exactly giving out free nick tickets. What they said was is they got an invite to a press conference for the Knicks for high school sports drivers and editors. So I said, they said, you can have the passes. It's a press conference. And then you get tickets to the game if you write a story, I said, i would never done that, but I want free Nick tickets. So I'll do it. Right. So I went to the press conference, they had Nick players there and all the high school sports writers and editors were there. And, and then I wrote the story and I won the New York Knicks high school sports writers. Contest. Wow. Wow. And I said, wow. I, you know, I got, I got courtside seats to a game, got my pictures with the players on the court. And I got printed, printed something about me in the game program. I said, I might have something here. So then I went, I went to community college, LaGuardia, and LIU Brooklyn. I, I knew I wanted to be a sports writer.
0: Oh, yeah. Okay. Sounds great. I was going to say, what college did you go to? But you didn't. You just I, went, I went to
1: LaGuardia Community College in Queens first.
0: Right. And then I
1: went. Uh, graduated with a journalism degree from Lowell University, Brooklyn campus.
0: Okay. So you actually said to yourself it's you know i'm going to be a sports writer you won the the, the high school nicks writing contest you graduated with a journalism degree big question what happened after that what what was your first gig were you able to find a gig easily or did you have to take what was my first writing gig i started i started out
1: uh you know, i was working in sports retail to try to make make it like after i got out of college my first job was at a local queen's newspaper you know at the queen's courier sure i walked in there with my with my clippings from my college newspaper and they made me the sports editor. <laughs> and right. eventually i became the editor of the whole newspaper and then i moved on to other local papers and then i got a job at new york newsday and then i left new york uh to move to florida because. uh Family had bought a house down there. Uh, we wanted to check it out. And I, that's when there was an ad with Sun Sentinel for sportsline.com and they were looking for customer service representatives, et cetera. And I, I, I went down to the local print shop and faxed my resume and I got a call because I was also writing. I'm a Seahawks fan, even though I grew up in New York, as you can tell. Right. I was writing for a newspaper called Inside the Seahawks. It was for like, you know, they used to have newspapers like Steelers Digest. Right, right. And, uh, you know, Dolphins Digest. And I wrote for the Seahawks one. And when I faxed my resume in, they gave it to the managing editor, who was a former beat writer for the Seahawks. And he thought it was curious what I did. He called me in for an interview and I got a job at Sportsline.com, which later became CBS Sportsline, which later became right. com, in their newsroom. And after six months, it wasn't the right fit. So they they referred me to Rick Wolf, who everybody knows in the fantasy industry. Right. I said, Scott, you're going to come work under me. In the morning, you're going to work for Vegas Insider. In the afternoon, you're going to work for Fantasy. After six months, if you're doing well, you pick which department you want to stay in full time. You're not doing well. Then after six months, we got to revisit everything. I did great. Both Vegas Insider and the fantasy department wanted me. Uh, and then I became the first ever full time content guy at, uh, at Sportsline.
0: Right. So that, that's, I was going to ask you when you started. Were, so roughly, let's get an idea around what year was that? Would you
1: say that was 1997, January I, when I started? In the okay. fantasy department, I got hired in October '96.
0: All right. So, at that point, did you have a preference as to whether you wanted to be a general, uh, uh, quote real sports writer or someone who wanted to focus on fantasy? I had, I had, I had, uh, I was
1: my career path. I thought laid in regular sports writing. But I played in my first fantasy football league in nineteen ninety four when I was working at a sporting goods store in Manhattan, Paramount Sporting Goods on Broadway. Right. In Union Square. And I won the league my first time. (laughs) So when I got into the fantasy department I said to myself, this kind of feels natural for me. I didn't I didn't it wasn't planned, but I slipped like into it
0: immediately. Right. You you kind of just had a feel for it, you were good at it. Cause I always
1: grew up like playing stuff like Stratomatic, you know, mad things like that, which
0: are their fantasy games. In their own right. Right. Um, when you started out, did you focus on one particular sport or did you just cover anything that came across your desk?
1: Uh, it was ba- I started with baseball because I started during baseball season and I started writing fantasy baseball articles like right away. It like I, it just came naturally.
0: Mm. And then
1: football was even more natural for me.
0: Right, right. Uh, because I followed your work and I, I've always felt that you're uh, – I enjoy your football work more than your baseball work. But that could also just be well, because That's because you're a football. Fan I was going to say I'm yourself. more of a football fan than a baseball fan. Although growing up, I would say I probably had the same feel you did. I was a huge Mets fan, always wanted to be Tom seaver. that was my my thing growing up. I figure we're we're roughly the same age and growing up in new york um so uh but but see, it's always interesting to me when I interview um fantasy legends and fantasy writers because it's always interesting to me how they started so For example, you started off being more of a traditional sports writer who then discovered a knack for fantasy sports and you kind of migrated into it.
1: Yeah, I got a a journalism
0: degree. You got a journalism degree, whereas... That's why
1: I I tell people, want to get
0: into writing? Yeah. Fantasy sports
1: writing. There are people that can write and there are people that are no fantasy. If you put them two together, you have a shot. I'm just trying to be blunt because people ask me this all the time. People think if they can read that they can write. Right, it's not exactly. necessarily true. There's a lot right. that goes into it. You know, I've had people saying I want to get in the industry, that they would come on the company with me and I try to show them the ropes. And they really, I really realize that's so much work. It's not for me. And then other people were like, I learned so much about writing. Uh, you know, everybody thinks they can write. And there are people because they, there's, there seems to be a division and thankfully i'm not part of this in the fantasy industry fantasy high stakes players versus fantasy experts the high stakes players think they're the best players and they have every right to think that because right. they're great at managing their own teams but they'll get into battles with the people that do it for a living and communicate it because they're like well you know they're not experts like us and then our the fantasy experts will fight back and, the fantasy experts are more guys that, you know, they're professional communicators, what mm. they do, whereas the fantasy high-stakes players are just professional fantasy players. Right. It's, it's, they're, just, they're different. You know, they, they fight off with each other online. But I just think they, they come at the fantasy wall from different angles. I think you have a different – if if you're playing in the NFFC or the FFPC, you have a lot of money on Right. if you're if you're a well-known fantasy expert your reputation is your currency
0: exactly yeah and I, and that's a great distinction because uh i was going to get to that but but even before that i was going to ask you what do you think of the difference between like i i make no bones about it um i'm a i'm a data guy i got into fantasy sports by being a sports fan who happened to be someone who worked in data analysis so that made it a much Uh, natural fit for me because, you know, most statistics courses and stuff use sports as examples, right? Like baseball, especially. Um, But I'd like to think that I learned how to write and how to communicate effectively. Um, But to your point, what percentage or how, like, do you think that good data guys make for good fantasy analysts? Or Oh, yeah. Or? Oh, yeah.
1: People come from different backgrounds in fantasy. It's not just that you have to be a good writer, you know, necessarily. Or maybe you're good on video. Maybe you're good on podcasts. Maybe you're just good breaking down the numbers. Uh, you know, data people, like, especially with fantasy baseball, I mean, it's so much data. Right. You know, there are people that are a lot better that than that I am. And I admire that people ask me a question on Twitter. It's like this week. So, you know, what do you think of expected ERA? You know, and, you know, this, this, that. And I said, you know what? I managed to get a roto bowler. you know, uh, Pierre <laughs> Camus, you know, he's, he, uh, you should ask him, you know, you should ask Ariel Cole, you know, something, something like that. Right. Uh, so, yeah, people come at it from different backgrounds. You know, there's, right. there's people that just, you know, used to play, you know, at a high level you know there's there's different ways to come at it like you listen to Sirius XM fantasy sports radio Steve Phillips and Jim Bowden you know worked in front offices and then they wrapped their minds around fantasy that's a powerful combination so uh you know people come at it from from different ways it's just I came at the background you know there are also high stakes players who are good fantasy analysts like Chris Vaccaro of of The Athletic you know he's He's a good communicator and he's a an high player.
0: Yeah, I, I agree with you. Um, do you consider yourself more of a data guy or more of a I watch the games and and draw my conclusions based on what I see more than what I analyze, or is it a combination of both? You get to a point where you, you
1: do both. I come from the background of more what I see, especially with football. Football's be different than baseball. Football, baseball, you can look at the numbers to make a lot of decisions. Whereas to me, football is, you know, what you see on the field drives the numbers. Hmm. So if you become a good football analyst, then I think you become a good fantasy analyst. But baseball is a good example because I think there's something to be said for the eyeball test. I think there's some intangibles baseball wise uh you know it's not just all about the numbers but the numbers make a lot of sense so they marry the two there's a lot of war in baseball where you get your stat guys and then you get people play the game right and the two don't necessarily see eye to eye but if you can meet in the middle as an analyst or even somebody that works for a team i think you have a successful fusion i think there's that kind of battling in the nba as well you know it's You know, I was watching like a roundtable, like Isaiah Thomas, Reggie Miller, you know, stuff like that. Talking about, oh, everything now is about numbers, fantasy, and stuff like that. It wasn't for us when we played; we just went and played the game. I think
0: if you combine both schools of thoughts, you you can be a very
1: strong analyst.
0: I I agree with you. Um, I started out from the data perspective, but I also was someone who just loved to watch games. I could spend all day watching games. And um, when I played, I'm not very athletically gifted. So when I pitched, for example, uh, in high school and whatnot, uh, I I always used to sit on the bench and look at the other team and observe their hitters and see how everybody was positioned. So even though I was slow and overweight and everything, I always took pride in knowing where to be. So I think when you say to yourself, which is better or to your point, I think when you blend the two, you're in the position to succeed the most. Um, Some
1: people just think, you know, you don't have the physical gift to play the game, but you have right. the mental gift to play the exactly. game. Exactly. So sometimes, sometimes when players get angry at the media and say, oh, you never played the game, you don't <laughs> know. It's like, well, you know what? You might have a mind for the game, even though I don't have right. a body for the game. It's a different perspective looking at it, the press box than it is, you know, taking on an offensive lineman it's like i have tremendous respect for what those guys do at a high professional level and i couldn't do my job without them doing their job athletically right. so i respect where they come from when players say like you never played the game you don't know well i just wasn't athletically gifted enough to play the game you know it's right from a from a mental perspective i i could see and break down the game etc but I love when you get to meet and talk to players, do interviews and stuff like that, and get inside their minds because, you know, they see it differently when they're actually playing the game. So you got to step out. You have to have your own perspective, but you got to step outside yourself and take in other perspectives and having press credentials for like Major League Baseball for over a dozen years. I get to do interviews and talk to people and it colors my analysis differently than some other people. I'm not just sitting there breaking down X-fifth and X-batting average. Uh, You know, there are other nuances of the game that you have to take into account. You know, some people don't believe that there's such a thing as a closer mentality where guys who pitch in the ninth inning just have to have a certain mentality. You know, some people who crunch the numbers won't put any credence into that. But if you talk to most people, who play Who played Major League Baseball around the game, and they will talk to you honestly. They will let you know there's something different in pitching in the ninth inning.
0: Right. Well, certainly there's the intangibles of the pressure, the situation, uh, the, the adrenaline, the adrenaline, the makeup, the the pressure. There's a lot of different things that go. So I agree with you. Just like you could be a great quarterback for the first 58 minutes of the game and collapse in two minutes or the reverse. You could be a very average quarterback and just shine when the pressure's on and you're calling your own plays during those uh two minute drills. So yeah, absolutely. I don't see where anyone would dispute that really for, for any reason, but since you touched on it, um you've been someone who's been able to have press press passes for a while now. And you get to interview people. I know at Chase Stadium, you conduct a lot of interviews with the ball players. Never Chase uh, Stadium, at City I, I, Field. I City did City Field, City Field, yeah. never Chase no. Stadium, right? Uh, I so, did a few times with Chase, but I've been
1: regularly credentialed at City Field. City I see Field. what I see what you're doing.
0: Yeah, yeah. Sorry. Yeah. Uh, so I was going to ask you: any interviews stand out for you? Anybody you enjoyed, or who gave you a rough time, or uh, anything stand out to you? The thing
1: that stands out to me is the reason why it's been so much fun is because Major League Baseball players love playing fantasy football. And I've developed <laughs> a lot of relationships with Major
0: League Baseball
1: players yeah. who, when they find out I'm a fantasy analyst, want to pick my brain. <laughs> you know, uh, I developed a friendship with David Wright for like a decade, uh, you know, just based off of fantasy sports. You really? Know, certain players will text me, players will call me. You know, people involved in the game, uh, good friends with a, a PR guy, you know, just, you know, it's supposed to be first pitch and he's calling me about his lineup. You know, I've had <laughs> baseball players before batting practice calling me about their trades they're making, things like that. That's, that's the most fun of it, not the regular media. You know, right. they see you, the players see you in a different light. And they treat you different.
0: It, it is kind of funny. I kind of ran into the that as well when I was over at Sirius during my time there, you would occasionally run into people who were coming in for interviews and uh I don't for example, I remember one time Jeremy Ronick uh, just yeah. constantly followed me around for 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 draft advice, you know, when it came to football. And it just it was uh not off putting, but just a little surprising that he was that into it as a professional. Oh, yeah, athlete. The, but the uh baseball so, players
1: are really, really into it. One of the cool things is is there's this organization called Big League Impact started by Adam Wainwright. They do fantasy football for charity drafts and leagues with baseball players. So every year the Mets, whether it was David Wright or Steven Matz running it, would have these charity fantasy drafts at Citi Field, and I would go to cover them and support the event, and I would actually get to draft with the players and the fans. Oh, that's great. You'd be sitting at a table with David Wright or Stephen Matz, a 12-team league, and – You'd be in the league
0: with them and drafting with them, trashed off with them. Wow, that's that sounds like it would yeah. be like an ultimate experience if you're a if it, it not, is. not just the fantasy writer, but just uh just the fantasy player, a fan of these people that you could sit and draft with them and- that's
1: the power of fantasy sports. Yeah. Right? They people were able to sit through big league impact, sit at tables with their favorite baseball players playing a fantasy football league with them.
0: That's amazing. But charity. Shower- that's amazing i i love that i love that concept i love that idea um let me ask you this now I've, I've like i said we've we've had a weird sort of relationship for the for a while now right because uh like you mentioned we're both from queens new york uh at least as adults right and you and i had known each other professionally online but we never yeah. actually met until we went out to collect our Sports Writer Awards, the FSWA. 2000, 2006. 2006, out in Vegas. And I, I'll never forget, we were standing for the group picture with our, you know, awards or whatever. And we just started talking a little bit, going back and forth. And it was one of these weird conversations like, hey, where are you from? I'm from New York. Oh, yeah, we're in New York, Queens. Oh, yeah, me too, where? oh, near Bayside. Bayside? Really? I live near you know. And the next thing you knew, we practically lived like five minutes apart from each other yeah. in, in, in Queens, and we also shared some other like familial uh, situations. Um, so, let me ask you this. As long as I've known you, I've gotten the... First of all, people may not realize this. You have a really uh, understated sense of humor, I've always felt. Um, <laughs> that, you know uh people at sometimes will say is scotty like a funny guy is he a fun guy and i'm like you don't know it's just it's not like the loud boisterous guy like i might be at times but it's it's like you definitely have that sense of humor to you let me ask you this um i've always got the impression that you out of all the things you do you might enjoy radio the most am i getting the right vibe for that probably like like
1: not that I don't love writing; it comes naturally. To sure, people. I write a sure. write a good article. I sit back and say, "Yeah,
0: that was good. That was good. I feel good."
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. But radio can be so much fun, especially like I'm the type of host
0: that loves interacting
1: with the callers. Sure. So I, I have a lot of fun with radio and video. Yeah.
0: Now, a lot of people may not realize this, but when the fantasy sports the fantasy sports channel on Sirius uh, XM. When it launched, um, it was open season. Anybody could try to get a show on there, right? It was it, it, like you had veteran fantasy writers, myself included, uh, with a cattle call uh, to to the station. Uh, I don't know if people realize this. You were the host, along with I believe Adam Ronis, correct? Yep. Uh, of the first fantasy full time fantasy uh, drive time show in the mornings, right?
1: Yeah, we were the we were the first. Shh voices you ever heard when the channel launched in April 2010 because we did the morning show Monday to Friday. Uh, Originally producer Mike DeBurgis and Corey Parson developed a personality of his own. Right, uh, Became one of those type of, you know, I guess, you know, you watch Howard Stern, like, he's got producers who actually became personalities. But we had a, a nice run from 2010 to 2016 as a very popular morning show. And that was a lot of fun. It,
0: it, I, I I enjoyed listening to your show. I didn't listen to the rest of the shows on the channel, to be honest with you, because I never wanted to be influenced by other shows, but I do remember listening to yours. I know you had me on a couple of times uh, as a yeah. guest, um, but uh, I really enjoyed that morning show. And I know that after you left Sirius, you kind of started, um, your own sort of new thing right it was um when you were at roto experts you you continued your radio uh show this there didn't you
1: uh for a little while yeah um yeah they got off of serious and uh and then then i then after that uh I landed a roto baller in two thousand nineteen and I got back on the radio through through on Sirius XM. x f I went back home to SiriusXM. Uh, in 2019, I've been back on since. And that's I lo- great. I love, I, love, I love the Roto-Bowler guys, you know, that was, you know, that, that, they're just such good guys. I'm happy where I am now. They've been at the game day full-time since January. It's, uh, you know, very new and powerful right. fantasy sports betting site. Uh, but, you know, Roto-Bowler has me other radio and, you know, I really enjoy doing that. My co-host Mike Florio is also on NFL.com.
0: Right. And and uh, it's a great show to listen to, but that's what I meant to say that I think you enjoy radio the most because I, I think I we were maybe in the same room when you found out you had this gig. And I remember how like the smile on your face, you know, like, hey, I'm heading back to, to Sirius. Um, when you do radio, how do you prepare for it? Do you have a script where you go in and say these are this is the script I'm going to go through, or do you just go in with a couple of bullet points, the news of the day, uh, or do you, do you do it more like a Howard Stern, which is you may have a premise or two, and then rely on your callers to sort of drive the show with you? Well, there's sometimes
1: when there's not calls, like during football season, on a Saturday, all you do is answer phone calls, but right. make sure you don't you don't want to bore people because. Because nobody else wants to hear about anybody else's fantasy. Exactly. You take a a call, but then you talk about the subject for the whole audience. Right. Uh, If not, you know, you come up with some bullet points, but then the show takes on a life of its own, and you just become conversation. I don't like to be too. I always like to be prepared. If I if I do my writing work, and I'm updated on everything writing wise, then I'm prepared for the show. I can take anything that comes at me, as long as I do my rest of the work during the week. Going on the radio is just going on to talk
0: about that stuff that I wrote or that I edited. Right, right. I got you. Um, in terms of where you see yourself going forward, um, do you – so before I ask you that, one of the things that a lot of people may be shocked to hear is that when you're a professional writer um, or radio show host in this case – that it's a, it's a constant grind, right? It's not like you work nine to five and you're done with it, right? You no. constantly have to stay on your game, study, refine your work. And a lot of people don't realize this is you're almost a syndicator of your own work, right? You work at multiple outlets. Uh, you, your work has to be distributed through, like, it's not like the old days where you went to one spot. Like I, again, for people who may not know, at one point you did work at the uh, ESPN. Right. Yeah. And I think in those days that may have been more of a hub and spoke model where you went to ESPN and ESPN took care of the business of, of spreading Scott angles work around. Right. Um, now it's different, right? The model now some 25 odd years later is completely different. Right. Yeah, it is because,
1: you know, when I was at CBS sports line, it's, you know, that's the one place where you are. you were there full-time. Uh, same thing with ESPN. You couldn't work for anybody else or distribute the work. At... Some people say it's hard to get a full-time job in fantasy, and that's true, very true, Right. very true. There are very few full-time jobs. And they... I'm not saying it's impossible, okay, right. but very few full-time jobs. people say, my dream is to write fantasy full-time. Like, that's could be a very, very hard road because, you know, even when I was full time in fantasy, I had to wear a lot of other hats, you know get involved in business and marketing right editing other people's work, things like that um now it's about at one point you know a few years ago, it was just about how many gigs can I balance right. to make ends meet you know make a living and you know but now i thankfully you know I have another full time job with some some outside gigs. The game day is my main thing. Roto is one of my top outside projects and, along with com. So I'm kind of content with that for now. Uh, I'm happy with it. Uh, but you know, if you want to break into this business, you know, sports gambling is the way to go now because that's where the jobs are really opening up. You know, it, in, in terms of, in terms of fantasy, there are a lot of opportunities out there, but to be a writer, podcast host, you know, things like that. You gotta create your own brand sort of. Right. You know, the the world the the world's changed. Like to get a full time job just writing mm-hmm. in fantasy, that's very, very tough. Not impossible, but very, very tough. Right. right. If you're more of a podcaster or a video person, you're an influencer, you're on TikTok, you know, and and Instagram and stuff like that, you can build your own brand. Right, you know, I mean, look at look at guys like the fantasy footballers. You know, the, people are not going to them for their articles necessarily. Uh, you know, they go because they have a really, really good influential podcast. These people become influencers of fantasy because they're good on YouTube, et cetera. If you want to get into fantasy full time, writing is not it. You can you can write and that could be part of what you do, but there are a lot of people say I want to be a full time fantasy writer. You got to open your scopes.
0: Yeah, you, you have to cast a wide net now. Like uh, it, it also yeah. used to be that in the old days, if you could scrape together the capital and the business expertise to start your own business, start your own website, start your own content site like we did back in the days, um, uh, you could probably succeed. But you can't do that anymore. There's there's too many giants out there necessarily.
1: Yeah. It's so, when, you, when you started like sports grumblings and stuff yeah. like that back in the day. The independent sites ruled the early fantasy content uh, world, but then it all changed.
0: Right. Then that's when the big boys found out there was money in fantasy sports, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. That's when they stepped in to crush it. Um, Let me ask you this. Uh, I think that your son is also in the fantasy world, right? Or he's, uh, I know you must be proud of him, right?
1: Yeah. My Uh, son,
0: my son, Sean,
1: yeah, actually works for Google Elite Rotoballer as a uh, as a a live stream and a podcast producer, audio producer, and also a writer for both sites because he's a fantasy NASCAR expert. Uh, he's won seven DFS tournaments on
0: DraftKings and NASCAR. So, so yeah. I I, I know you I know you're proud of your son. Yeah. I know you're proud of your son, man, and uh, I just wanted to give you an opportunity to brag a Thank little you. about Sean. Uh, I've met follow, follow Sean Engel at SeanMan247.
1: There you on go. Twitter for all your your fantasy NASCAR advice.
0: Definitely, definitely. Because yeah. I've met Sean; he's a good kid, and uh, Thank you. I know I know the pride you have with Sean. So I just wanted to give you the opportunity to, you. To, to to shout it out. Um, now, uh, also something you should be proud of. I hope you're proud of is. You were part of the inaugural class in of the FSWA Fantasy Sports Writers Association Hall of Fame. Um, I sit on the board of directors. I have since its inception. Um, tell me what that was like. Did you did you expect it? Was it a surprise to you? And what does it mean to you to to say, "Hey, I was one of the first uh, guys to to be elected to the Hall of Fame of Fantasy Sports Writers"?
1: All right, I'll take credit for something. I won't be hum humble. That was my idea. One of the earliest f s w a conference calls hmm. they wanted me to be the first f s w a president and turn it down. I was too busy okay uh, and I, it would have been fun, but uh <laughs> but I came up with the idea of the whole thing. they loved it uh i'll t- I'll take um, okay. her <laughs> trying to be home uh, <laughs> I was honestly surprised that I was voted into the inaugural class Um, but I took it as just you know I've always tried to in the fantasy industry community just tried to always treat people with respect right always tried to help people if they needed it Um, and I think I, I, I think people you know, I was very humble that 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 people showed me something back with that. You know, it's uh, you know, it was pretty cool because the first class was like me, Matthew Berry, Eric Caravel and Greg Coll- Kellogg, and Greg Ambrosius. You know, there's only one initial class. It was a big ceremony in Vegas, so it was pretty, it was it was pretty darn cool. And once you're in with the inaugural class,
0: that like it sticks with you throughout your career. Sure. Absolutely. I I like I was very happy for you. Like I said, I don't think there's anybody in the industry that has a bad word to say about you. Like, uh, I I keep telling people, I don't think people understand what a cutthroat business we're in, and how petty people can get it sometimes. Uh, Now, of course, no matter who I talk to, it's always the other guys who are petty, right? It's never ourselves who are petty. It's always someone else, right? Um, But in all fairness, there's only a handful of people that, no matter who I, I've asked about, uh, will say good nothing but good things. You're one of them. I don't think anyone has, <laughs> and no one has ever crapped on you, as far as I know, uh, at least not to me. Uh, and and I think it's fitting that you got into that inaugural Hall of Fame. Thank you. Uh, I really, uh, I'm really happy for you. And um, look, maybe one day I'll have, I'll be lucky enough to join you in that. Uh, but Here's the funny thing it's I gonna be, to ask.
1: It's gonna be a very long name to put on
0: the plaque though. Oh geez, no. Yeah. yeah I don't think they'd have to give the Big John would just have to do, right? Yeah. And, and that's about it. But let yeah. me ask you this. Um fun question. Compare yourself to the inaugural baseball hall of fame. Who are you? I don't remember who the inaugural baseball hall of fame members were. Oh really?
1: I think Lenny Melnick might know because I think Melnick might know, I Melnick he
0: might know. The, yeah. I think yeah. he was at the ceremony. This is me, Jimmy Fox. <laughs> you know, my up. My buddies. Yeah, I think it was like Babe Ruth, Jimmy Fox. You're right, like all those guys. Um, all right, so let's just call you the Babe Ruth then. Just, just No, I'm a Mets fan. I'm a Mets
1: fan. Can't
0: okay. do that to me. Can, can't give you a Yankee? No, sorry. Wasn't Carl Hubble in there? Yeah. Okay, maybe we'll find an old New York Giants or Brooklyn Dodger since the Mets are the uh, mix of the two, right? Yeah, isn't that the old story? That's how the Mets got the blue and orange in their uniform. They mixed the Giants. Yeah, and the what Dodgers. they did was they, did
1: the Mets. It's funny because Yankee fans will say Mets. The Mets are their little brothers. I'm like, no, they're not. <laughs> they're not related. Yeah. The Mets. The Mets are the Yankees' neighbor, right? Not their little brothers because the Mets came out of the void that was created by the Dodgers and the Giants, right. Right. The Mets orange and white comes from the Giants, and the blue in the hat comes from the Dodgers, and all over the numbers, like the, the script lettering, comes from the Dodgers. Right? Uh, you know, the the orange comes from the Giants, blue comes from the Dodgers. The, the Mets, if anything, were related to the Giants, and the Dodgers, not the Yankees.
0: Oh yeah, there's there's no doubt about that. I don't know. It's funny because I grew up. I was born in the Bronx and raised in the Bronx, not too far from Yankee Stadium. So you can imagine what I went through being a Mets fan, uh, like within walking distance, basically, of Yankee Stadium. So it, it was, uh, it was uh, a constant fistfights on the way to and from home every day, I think. But um, all right, Scotty, uh, let me just throw a couple of questions at you. Where do you think the fantasy industry is heading? I think it, it's... In terms of seasonal fantasy sports,
1: we, we are where we are. Football is always going to dominate. Baseball will always have a niche. Basketball is more DFS uh, attuned, I think. Uh, I think every sport, you know, has its comfortable spot. I think, you know, we want to watch where sports game is going. You know, that's the next. We all, you know, guys like you and me, remember when the fantasy industry exploded. And now we know where it's at. Now we know where it fits. Right. You know, it's it's an established part. It's not exploding anymore. Whereas now you're going to see
0: sports betting exploding. Right. And and um, for the most part, I think it'll be legalized soon enough in all 50 states.
1: Yeah. Um, Getting
0: legalized in New York is huge. Yeah, yeah. Very, very huge. Is there yeah. an underrated sport that you think is well-suited for sports betting or for DFS other than, say, football and basketball?
1: I mean I my son and I really enjoyed the DFS NASCAR.
0: How does that uh, work? How does that work? You, you pick you
1: thing. pick six drivers under a salary cap and based on their finishing position, laps led, fastest laps, you get you get various amount of points. I see when people say underrated or overrated, you know, if it's not tied to something statistic I just have a fundamental problem with that. Because
0: Okay, fair enough. You know,
1: if, if some if th- something's underrated you say you know it's subjective like a song or a movie, right right you know uh that just means you like it more than everybody else does. if it's you say it's overrated, then it's I don't like that as much as everybody else does, so to your question, the spirit of your question um uh, what, what F- DFS, nascar is not as popular popular as I mean. for other fantasy sports, but i I think it's a lot of fun okay and for 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 betting too. Well, actually, the DFS is better than betting. The
0: betting's tough. Betting's tough. Yeah. DFS yeah. is a different animal than straight sports betting. Yeah. Uh, which, you know, it, it can is, is really a lot more also understanding how lines yeah. move, how Vegas sets lines, the, you know, the actual art of betting, hedging, and things like that. It's a completely different thing than DFS. Yeah. Um, all right, great. Now, uh, let's move on to some, uh, sillier questions. Okay. Yes. Well, what's been your greatest fantasy prediction come true? Any sport, any time. all of us have one. Does it have to be a fantasy prediction? Uh, okay. Let's start out with the one you've got in mind and then
1: we'll decide. In Super Bowl 48, Percy Harvin returned the the second half kickoff for a touchdown. I that. said on Sirius XM Fantasy Sports Radio the week before the game that Percy Harper was going to return a kick off a touchdown. Wow. Okay. That's that's yeah. that's a good also, one. it. Also, in his rookie year, I went on national radio and said Cooper Cup is going to be a star in the NFL and fantasy, and everybody railed back
0: at me. Sure. Why why would anyone believe you? A slow white receiver, right? I don't think he's slow. Well, the perception is obviously slow. Like, I had this conversation once with Tom Casale, and I asked him, why is the perception that every uh, black quarterback in the NFL is a running quarterback? They used to say that about uh, 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 Robert Griffith III, right? They would say, oh, he's a running quarterback, but he was also a very good pocket passer. And I asked Tom, is that racism or is that lazy analysis, you know? And he seemed to think it was lazy analysis that there's a lot of guys who just assume that's the case. It's uh, it's 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 stereotyping, sort yeah. of. I guess you could say.
1: Uh, you know you 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 just you just look at the player, you know. Yeah, and see how you we can't play, you can't guys. assume assume anything based on any outside factors how people look. I mean, look, look at Warren Bolton. Come on. Oh you know? yeah, perfect example. That guy yeah. was a pure thrower. No, look at no look guy. at Steve Young, right? Yeah,
0: right. Steve every Young. every player was different. I, you, you don't you don't judge it on stuff. <laughs> I I agree with you. It's just interesting to me that some some guys in our profession still do. Um, okay, fair enough. Uh, greatest rock band ever.
1: Greatest rock band ever. Um, well, I think the objective answer would be. Beatles, right? What's the Scott Quote? answer? I
0: what's know what the, the
1: Scott answer is. You think you know, but you'd be wrong. Oh, okay. Um, yeah. Uh my favorite? I got so many. Like, I like, I like, I like Jimi Hendrix. I like, I like Motley Crue. Um, Hendrix is so good. Led Zeppelin, Queen, is mm. fantastic. So you're a classic rock guy, basically. I like all kinds. Of if somebody asked me my favorite artist, I would say nobody kills a ballad like Mariah Carey. Okay. Okay. I love Run DMC, and I love them before Walk This Way. Mm. I got to maybe it's a guilty pleasure. I love Lionel Richie. That I listen to for everything from Molly Crue to ZZ Top to Pat Benatar the System of the Down. To I love the Temptations. I think they're fantastic. Mm. I love you the know. Temptations too. Yep. Um, so my musical tastes
0: are all over the place. Okay, so that's that's a great list. Uh, obviously, you're you've got a very eclectic taste in music. I'd like to say yeah. you kind of like a little bit of everything. Uh, what's your favorite favorite movie?
1: Uh, I love the Rocky movies.
0: Okay, are you more of a think
1: I think the third one's probably my favorite, Rocky Three. Okay, uh, I love the Star Wars movies. Okay. Um, I like all kinds of movies. Like, still sound wacky. It's like I probably watched Riding in Cars with Boys for like five hundredth time the other night.
0: I don't you even know, know that Drew, I've ever seen Drew
1: that. It's a great movie. Okay. Uh, Bronx Tale. Oh, that was a great one. Yeah. 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 Just, I'm all over the place with movies. Like, I will just go down Rocky and Star Wars rabbit holes. Like, just completely obs- obsessive about things like that.
0: Okay, so we've got your own music, we've got your own movies uh okay let's let's finish the trifecta. What's your favorite t v show?
1: oh wow i'd I'd watch everything from the old classics like happy days the six million dollar man wow okay. to like to like uh you know i I would go down a rabbit hole of like old classic t v hmm Things like that. I love The Walking Dead until they kick Rick Grimes off. Okay, uh we'll a lot there. of HBO shows, like I thought Oz was terrific. Oz was terrific. Yeah. When people ask me, do I have a favorite T V show, I don't know. You know, it's but I can watch old episodes of Happy Day just on a loop, just like all the you know, that's that's a lot of older, like people get right. deep, deep nostalgia because like, you know, there's just right. a lot of people that like, like which is funny. Now, because now, now. Nowadays, what happens is you binge shows. You know, right. it's like like I just watched Winning Time with the Lakers on HBO. I thought How'd it was, you
0: like that? I, I thought that. it was
1: fantastic. I love it was kind show. of over-dramatized, but yeah. I really, really like that. Because I Because it it's a agree. special year on the NBA to me. But, you know, I'll get caught into anything. I'll get caught into Stranger Things, you know, stuff like that. You know, sometimes it's like minor HBO series, like on the spectrum about autistic people, Mm. that I thought was fantastic. Nobody's ever ever really heard of, you know. Just like my family would be like, "You should watch this," and then you 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 know you end up watching it, right, for for some reason. Uh, You said you like, of course, course like Seinfeld. Oh sure, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Curb your enthusiasm. Oh my God, those are there are certain shows when they come on, I. I get excited, but I might have to say my favorite TV show of all time might be Beavis and Butthead.
0: Beavis and Butthead? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, no, that hey, hey, was. George Japanese. George Do you like to see
1: my George <laughs> Um You like I... shut up and stop asking me so many questions? <laughs> <laughs>
0: I have Where are to the tell chicks? There's <laughs> no chicks around here, Scott. Uh, but here's the thing I think a lot of people don't give that credit enough credit for having the social commentary it did in it i think a lot of people just took it on the surface uh, you, you, you and
1: william could get onto that, all that political stuff
0: no not political i just meant like it wasn't as surface idiocy necessarily you know like there was wit wit to the idiots yes it was yeah yeah okay fair enough um all right so uh having said all that let me just say Just to wrap up, I love talking to you, man. Um, Any opportunity I can get to work with you, you know, uh, absolutely, I'm going to jump on that. Uh, Now that I'm out in Long Island, we're still not too far apart. We don't have to fly to Vegas to hang out, brother. So any opportunity, let's hang out. Uh, Maybe we'll meet at our favorite bagel shop back there in uh, Bayside at some point, Uh, have a cup of coffee in the morning. And listen, I want to thank you for joining us. I really appreciate it uh everybody go check out scott angle scott the king angle scotty throw out your twitter handle so they can follow you
1: at scotty the king and check me out
0: at thegameday.com all right and we'll have that on the screen for you and uh scott once again thanks for everything and we'll talk to you again soon okay thanks a lot all right